This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Mr. Dress-Up entertained more than a generation of Canadian children. For almost 30 years, he came into your home sharing imaginative tales filled with music and fantasy. Mr. Dress-Up is the subject of a new documentary called Mr. Dress-Up, The Magic of Make-Believe. Here's a clip from the trailer. Oh, here you are. You're here and we're here. I've got a good bat costume here to show you. Didn't matter what race you were, what color you were, what religion you were, what language you spoke. You watched Mr. Dress Up. Scott Thompson. Mr. Dress Up. I mean, he was just so kind. Paul Sun Young Lee. Ernie never forgot a child within him. And that informs everything that he does with children. Fred Rogers. When you tell people that Fred Rogers and Ernie Coombs came to Canada together, most people don't even realize that they were very close friends. Craig Baird. 4,000 episodes. 30 years. There are not that many shows that last that long. Catherine Tate. Tell us what the secret is to 30 years on the air. I'm a child at heart. It's all doing things that I always liked to do when I was a kid. The tickle trunk was this magical, like, Pandora's box. Biff Naked. As soon as you open that lid, something was going to happen. Graham Green. I'm Tugboat Captain Dressup. Is it going to be a wizard? Oh, no, he's a dinosaur. The endless possibility of that. Entertainment critic Kim Thistle has thoughts on the documentary. Hey, good morning, Kim. Hey, good morning. I almost pulled stuff out of my tickle trunk to <laughs> greet you. <laughs> You're wearing polka dots today, though, so that counts as like a little bit, of, a little bit of flavor, a little bit of dress up with Kim. Uh, Kim, you've you've got a, a special connection to Mr. Dress Up. What did you love about the show? Oh gosh, but uh, for me, like he was. For my childhood growing up, that's what we watched. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of other options, but Mr. Dressup was your go-to. And it's so interesting when I say to my friends, you know, I get together with my girlfriend, and I said, Mr. Dressup. And they went, oh, I loved him, loved him. My God. And you, then I watched Brendan Jine after. I think Brendan Jine was after. And then, we, you know, someone else will say, well, the ticker, tickle trunk. And, like, there's, there's that nostalgic, as you had said, but there's also that, like, we all loved him. Like the man was just incredible, and and I I think for a long time I didn't know he had a real name, right? Yeah. <laughs> just up, right? <laughs> but it's it's just so endearing, and I mean, my partner and I returned from our beautiful vacation, and the first show we sat down to watch was Mr. Dressup, because both of us are born, you know, in six, 1967, and that's what we remember growing up that you sat down and you watched Mr. Dressup, and the magic, the make believe. The cartoons, the stories that he came up with, Casey and Finnegan, uh, there was just so much to love. And when I watch it now, I'm thinking, my, how simplistic it was in a sense. And I don't mean simplistic as in a, in a negative way, but, you know, you had your beautiful, the tree house and you had all the toy, but it was very basic and, it, and unscripted. It was, like you said, it, it was childhood. Kim, you clearly love the content here, and I think you've established that connection you had with Mr. Dressup really effectively here. But 
you even mentioned, I didn't even know that Ernie had a name. Like, like I, I just saw him as Mr. Dressup. So what did you discover in this documentary? Oh, wow, so much. And well, some of it was just told in the trailer. Like, I did not realize he was an American. I had always assumed he was a Canadian, but he did become an, a Canadian. Like, you know, I think after 30 years or something, he is. He was a Canadian. He was best friend, really good friends with Mr. Rogers. He and Mr. Rogers set up a kid's show. I think it was called Butternut Corner. I think it was the name here in CBC in Canada. That's where Mr. Rogers had his start. I did not know that. And then seeing the love between him and his um, wife, you know, Ernie Combs and his wife, I think they called her Lynn. And just those types of things. He was he was an, um, an animator. He was a puppeteer himself. I mean, there's so many things that I did not know. And that the, I think another thing I really discovered in watching it was you're not thinking this when you're, you know, three, four years old that, you know, Casey was non-binary. You didn't know that, right? But mm. Casey could be male or female. And they were so ahead of their time. And they mentioned that Ju Judy Lawrence, the puppeteer, she was very, very much feminist and socially conscious and didn't want sexual stereotypes and I guess that's the right way to say it like it wasn't that a woman was in the kitchen and the man was out working I mean she brought that to the show as well and her and Ernie Combs had a very good relationship and that's shown in the, the documentary which I thought was very endearing to, to see that and and so to, for, Mr. Dressup is so is sewing like you probably didn't see that in the 60s I know my dad didn't necessarily sit down and sew things right yeah, so yeah they were breaking barriers and that was so like as an adult now i can look back and see that and that's one of the things that matters in conversations around inclusion is sometimes it doesn't need to be explicit to challenge a stereotype. Sometimes it can be implicit. You can platform or show something without having to make a big deal about it. And I think sometimes that gets lost a little bit in the modern conversations about inclusion and trying to bring more people into the tent. It always needs to be a big deal rather than something just being, just existing. Yeah, yeah, or being organic. Just this is the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we pop you over the head with it. Awesome. Uh, Kim, I, I can already tell that you, you have a lot of things you liked about this documentary, but if I really had to put it into specifics, what, do you, what did you like about it? What did I like about it? Oh, boy. I guess part of it was reenact, reliving why I had loved Mr. Dressup. You know, the cartoons, he always drew something. I mean, he drew with a marker, like not an eraser or a pencil. The tickle trunk, the imagination, the song. Oh, my gosh, the, long, the longevity of the show. I mean, there was, it was just very nicely done. That's what I had liked about the documentary. And I liked the way they had done the documentary. It's it very engaging. You have different, you know, commentaries from, you know, movie stars and Canadian stars and executives. But they all talked about what made Mr. Rogers so special. The show had a uniqueness. And then in the end of the documentary, they talk about how he affected them. And mm. those were very touching. It, documentaries a lot of times will use that talking head method and even in that very short clip of the of the film preview uh you heard mark phoenix's voice coming over there quite a bit saying the names of the people who were speaking i think it was eight or nine people in about a 60 second clip there so it was fast but what did you make of the way in which they utilized so many voices of of canadian entertainment television executives to to sort of paint the picture of mr dress up you know what? 
when you say it like that, you're like, oh gosh, this is going to be too much, you know, in a sense, right? But it was very, it flowed very well and, and, and it was cohesive, it knit together, and it really was enjoyable hearing their perspectives, you know, how he was, um, you know, a trailblazer. And then later on, Eric McCormick, who played in Will and Grace, he talks about how much he loves the show and how it impacted him so much that he named his son Finnegan. So, I mean, th these are, my sister loved Mr. Dress Up when I told her about this documentary and her first thing was, I can't wait to see this. And her two dogs are named Casey and Finnegan. Oh. So th there's, it, it was really nicely done. It didn't feel, the only thing I would want it would be when each person was talking to tell me who it was again. But, you know, not, not, we can get by that way. So, but they, 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 it was a lovely way of how, from the start, from his beginnings and how it grew and, and the impact it had on Canadians. Along those lines, Kim, you mentioned that maybe it would have been nice to be given a little bit more guidance the second or third time somebody popped up on screen, especially when you're moving from talking head to talking head. How did the overall audio description uh, influence your experience on the documentary? Um, I think it was good, but it could have been, I felt it could have been better. But then can it be better? Because you, like as you said, you got that person talking. So Eric McCormick talking or Michael J. Fox is talking. And behind them are scenes, it could be photos, it could be clips from Mr. Dresser. We don't know about that. Like that's where, as you know, a visually impaired individuals, we don't hear that. Because I guess, I think we've talked about this before. How do you mesh that together and still have a, a show flowing? But overall, like the, the description did tell us, like for the very, in the beginning, it said a camera pans on one side of the room and there's a, a red box and a kitchen and a counter. And on the other side is the tree house and Casey comes out of the tree house. So they do tell us those situational um, audio description, but for the little extra stuff, like, you know, him in the background dressed up as a clown, you may not have known that. Mm. Kim, I think I know the answer to this question, but do you recommend uh, Mr. Dress Up, The Magic of Make-Believe? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. If you want to get your child down again and remember the imagination, the fun, the whimsical, the nostalgia, the magic and the fun. Oh, what else? He, he was just incredible. And like he says in the end, do I have a minute to read out what he said to please, a graduate? Please, please. Yeah, I, I just said this really is a lovely summary. He said it in the beginning. He's he's a com what do you call it, a get valedictorian at the, the graduate. He said, keep an open mind an open heart don't take life too seriously because it does not last forever you know and keep your crayons sharp don't get your sticky tape tangled and always put the caps on your markers <laughs> there you go ernie Coombe. if you were a big part of my life oh and i do want to add and i really remiss his daughter and son speak in this documentary and that was really lovely mm. to hear their perspective as you know him as their father so really like i watched it twice that tells you something i don't usually watch a documentary <laughs> <laughs> that definitely says something hey kim thank you for this i can really tell that uh, this this documentary really resonated with you have a lovely day Thank you. You too. Bye. That's, enter that's entertainment critic Kim Thistle in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Kim reviewed the Netflix documentary, Mr. Dress Up, The Magic of Make-Believe, and you can find that 
on Amazon Prime. In one minute, Alex Smythe will tell you where he's been the last couple of weeks. But first, Consumer Reports has evaluated the durability of charging cables. Mike Dubusky plugs in for another edition of Tech Trends. We've all been there. Anybody who owns a cell phone has had those moments where you think you're charging it right overnight and you wake up and you go to use your phone and it didn't work. Consumer Reports' Chris Raymond says that often comes back to your charging cable, which led the organization to test seven popular cords, ranging from just under 5 bucks to almost $30. So we did two different tests, one that twisted the cords 2,000 times, and then one that um, that bent them, that one ended it back and forth repeatedly. Two clear winners emerged, says Raymond, starting with Apple's $29 lightning cable. It is one of those ones that you kind of grimace when you have to go pay for it at the cash register. But that Amazon Basics cord, the USB-C cord, costs only $6.55. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. You may have noticed that Alex Smythe has been away for a couple of weeks. Let's find out where Alex's adventures took him. Hello again, Alex. Hello again, Dave. Alex, let's break this down piece by piece. Where did you go? So I was two weeks away in Europe. I spent my first week in Munich and parts of the Bavarian region of Germany. And then after a week in Germany, I flew over to Iceland and I spent a week touring around the country of Iceland. And Dave, it, it was two weeks of just uh, jam-packed activities and sightseeing and uh, just fun memories, but I, I really enjoyed my time overall. <laughs> there, there were some, some hiccups along the way that uh, I'll be getting into, that's for sure. Let's start with uh, the flight portion of the conversation yes. because uh, flights notoriously super easy and always straightforward. Yeah, and this is something that I wanted to kind of raise awareness of because I've never experienced anything like this before. So we, ha uh, me and my girlfriend, we were traveling together and we had paid for upgraded seats to have uh, seats with more legroom. I'm a big guy, I like to have my legroom. And we hadn't checked in on the flight yet. This was about five, six hours before our flight, but we were gonna get together, do it before we went to the airport. I got an email about uh, five and a half hours before the flight and it was already a suspicious email that it seemed like it had Iceland Air in quotation marks, which any of the other correspondents oh dear. Oh dear. Yeah, it came without those quotation marks. So immediately I was confused and, and uh, hesitant. And then it, it listed an itinerary of instead of me going flying from Toronto to Reykjavik, Reykjavik to Munich on Iceland Air, it had us going Toronto to London Heathrow, London Heathrow to Munich. But not only not on uh, Iceland Air, it was going Air Canada from Toronto to London, and then Lufthansa from London to Munich. So I was confused in that regard. It's like, well, this isn't my flight. What happened? So I called up Iceland Air right away. Say, oh, well, you know, because of safety regulations and, and overbooking, we, we, we move people around for safety. It's like, yeah, but I paid for these seats. I These seats have been assigned to me for months. But I, and then I tried to see if I could talk to a supervisor and said, oh no, supervisors and managers don't answer phone calls. I was like, well, oh, well that's great. That's, that's convenient. Super you know? awesome. So, so needless to say, we, we went to the airport. Um, we kind of checked in at the, at the airport and talked to their Canada, try to see if we could uh, kind of get moved to other seats. They said they couldn't because it was already a full flight. But what they did suggest, and this is a tip for anyone, if you're stuck with 
really un unfavorable seats, what you do is you go to the gate an hour before the flight because that's when check-in closes. So anyone who hasn't checked in at that point, their seats become available. So mm -hmm. we were able to move because we were originally in the very last row in the middle section Ugh. of a 343 configuration. Ugh. Ugh. So you had people beside you on both sides and you can't recline your seat. We were able to move up a couple rows to get an aisle in the seat beside us. So it was a bit more favorable in that regard. So if Nightmare. you're stuck in that situation, go to the, the gate an hour before your flight, they may be able to move you. So that, that was really the, the biggest uh, stress on the flight. The other flights, they were fine. Uh, they went smoothly. It was that first leg getting over to, to Germany that was a real hassle. <laughs> Alex, tell me more about the first leg. Please say mean things about Toronto Pearson International Airport. Uh, yeah, Dave. So. We've, we've had this debate before about Pearson. <laughs> Love-hate relationship. I personally really like Terminal 3. It makes sense to me. It, it, it's older, but it makes sense. And we were going to fly out of Terminal 3 with Iceland Air, but when it got switched to Air Canada, we went to Terminal mm -hmm. 1. Off to Terminal 1 you go. Yeah, and and the confusion, Air Canada employees, we were asking them, where do we check in, Where what security gate? People were pointing us in different directions. <laughs> it wasn't clear on that regard. Then once we got through security, which it was about a 20-minute, half-an-hour wait to get through security. It wasn't too bad. We You go to the gate in the sections and of course there's not really those those seats anymore they have those high top tables that are the four section where there's like ipads in front that you can order food and drink we sat there for about two hours and there were no one came by to clean the tables that were left messy from previous people sitting there mm -hmm. and, and then the bathroom situation wasn't also very nice either needless to say it was not a favorable situation that said I thought, okay, you know, Pearson's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm used to it. London Heathrow was where I was concerned, Dave, because I've been through there once, and it is busy. It's one yeah. of the busiest airports yeah. in the world. It was the most smooth, seamless transition I've ever had at an airport. It took two minutes to get through security and customs combined. That's it. We literally walked through, and we were already at our gate. I've never experienced anything like that before. I was shocked. And even coming into Munich, same thing, two minutes to get through security and customs, very, very smooth. That said, when we had to fly from Munich to Iceland, it was, again, chaos because they had sent every single check-in counter to this one security check-in. It took two hours to get through check-in oh and security gosh. to get to our flight. We had Ugh. 20 minutes to spare. But all in all, you know, you, you come in with, with the right amount of time, you, you give yourself that buffer, You'll be okay. We weren't too stressed. We we made it on time, so no major issues with that. Still, when you compare Pearson to London Heathrow, Munich, yeah, Pearson has some some work to do in that regard. So, Alex, you got to be relatively quick on this. I'm yes. going to hold you to sort of under two minutes. But what was your transportation experience on the ground, whether it be Munich or Reykjavik? Take your pick. Sure. So I'll focus in on Munich because it's really fascinating. I've never experienced this before, but Munich is clearly a city designed for pedestrians and public transit. Oh, use. I like that. And, and so it is a very walkable city, but it's also even the lights and, and everything are timed in favor trams or subways or streetcars or buses. I've never experienced anything like that before. It's so seamless and so prepared for that. But the downside is if you are in a car, you are gonna be stranded and stuck and frustrated in traffic for a long time. We had to get from our hotel to the train station, which was about two and a half kilometers away. It took us 45 minutes by car to get there. 
And in hindsight, I probably would have taken a subway or something to get there uh, next time. But, you know, with luggage, the last thing you want to try to do is navigate yeah. that situation. <laughs> yeah, or so. walk or walk two and a half kilometers, schlepping your exactly. bag behind you. No chance. Ex exactly. So um, that's that's a bit of a tip. Like, you know, really try to avoid any type of car or vehicle in Munich. Go with the subway, go with the public transit or walk. It's It's a great place to walk and take public transit. Alex, glad you had a safe trip. Glad you're uh, back in the mix. We did miss you, and uh, welcome back, buddy. Well, thank you, Dave. I'm, I'm happy to be back and uh, get back into the swing of things with you. Well, Alex will be back in just a couple of minutes for the uh, roundtable conversation. Coming up next, British Columbia has a bumper crop of mushrooms this fall. I'll have that story in the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.